0: This is the Cherry Leaf Podcast. Yeah, welcome to the Cherry Leaf Podcast. As we have done with all of our previous podcast episodes where we've had a guest, we've asked them to introduce themselves, say who they are, and what they do. So, tradition. Continues and I'd ask Daniel. Daniel, would you like to uh, introduce who you are and and what you do?
1: Thanks, and I'm happy to be here. So I uh, work at TechSmith. TechSmith is the maker of some tools that a lot of folks that are among your listeners probably have heard of, especially Camtasia for creating videos and Snagit, which creates uh, all kinds of image outputs plus video. And then maybe they haven't heard of some of the newer products, and that's fine. We can talk product later if we want to. But so my role at TechSmith is really uh, as director of strategy. I'm spending a lot of time thinking about how these tools can be used to help not just technical documentation, but also this sort of communication and collaboration across the enterprise, across the organization. And that's a little bit of a newer subject topic. I don't know if we'll get into it today uh, on this show, but It's been really interesting to see the shift in hybrid work as suddenly kind of teams dispersing and having to work remotely and then coming back and establishing new norms over the past couple of years, what that has done for the role of video in particular as just an everyday communication vehicle within organizations. And so I spend a lot of my time thinking about that, doing some speaking about it, And then helping to direct our strategy around making sure that people understand our products are super relevant for that uh, set of use cases
0: your colleague seth suggested we have a a chat because you want to encourage technical writers to use video and also you're saying elsewhere within the organization i must say we are great fans of Camtasia and Snagit ourselves all our e-learning courses are developed using Camtasia you're in a very lucky position you have very passionate users. It's one of those things where you, you mention Snagit or Camtasia to a technical author and you can all get 15 minutes on how wonderful the tool is. Let's start off video. Most technical authors tend to prefer text, they tend to use screenshots, not necessarily use video that much. So in the context of technical communication, why use video? Where does it fit in in relation to static text and static visuals and so on?
1: Yeah. So if you think about the way the world is moving right now, and when people are looking for a way to do something, how do I, right? How do I do this? Or how do I accomplish that outcome with a tool, a software product, maybe? They start with Google. And they type in almost that query, right? How do I do X, Y, Z? And I can think of that in my own life, multiple things in the past week. We had a bunch of power outages and my generator wasn't working. And, you know, I, my motorcycle broke down last week and all of those things I'm Googling. How do I troubleshoot? And so uh, your customers and your, your listeners, customers, my customers are no different. That's where they start. They start with Google and what has Google done, but elevate to the top of those results. Videos, you know, often on YouTube, not exclusively. The reason those are elevated is because they're popular. It's a popular way for people to get their answer. So I think one reason I would put forward is that if your customers want to find their answers with video and you're not providing them, somebody will, someone will have an answer out there. It could be your competitor. It could be some kind soul who's making videos about your product with no real incentive or kickback they may or may not be correct. But why shouldn't the people who are supporting that product, the technical communication folks, be at the forefront of supporting customers in the way they want? The other thing I would say beyond just the trend level is that we've done some research, I led research a couple of years ago, we asked our own customers and we actually asked them not just how do they want to find assistance for using TechSmith products, but we broaden the question and we said at work, when you're learning a new technology or need to figure out a new technology, where do you go first? How do you want to be helped? And video was far and away the top choice. About 80%, nearly 80% of people. So we asked them the most helpful and the least helpful. We presented them with a lot of options, and nearly 80% included video tutorials and video among the most helpful. So I would say if folks are listening to this and they haven't yet polled their own customers with a similar kind of survey or question, they should get on that. Because if it turns out that customers are like, hey, the way I really want to be helped is video and you're not doing it, maybe rethink how to reorient that.
0: And if they're not using Google, probably the number two search engine in the world is YouTube itself, which a lot of people don't see as a search engine, but it is.
1: Very true, yeah.
0: So who is, in the fear of, let's call it user assistance, who is doing it well? Who is using video effectively as a way of supporting users and providing the answers with video in addition to, or rather than text. Who should people look at as people to copy or get inspired by?
1: We've got some great customers out there doing cool stuff. Whether or not all of their content is public facing is always a question. I know Blackbaud has done a lot with video and and they would be good to look at. Cisco's done some, there's a company called Churn Zero that are enthusiastic users of our products. And we just internally had a a really great conversation with them and heard some things about what they're doing. A little bit selfishly, I guess, you know, you could say really Foster, but, you know, come and look at the stuff that we're doing on our own website for our customers. I mean, we drink deeply of the Kool-Aid, the champagne, let's call it. One of the things that we've done over the years is merge, and this is in the last few years, we actually merged all the video content with the written content. And we see that as really a best practice. This is not an either or. For one thing, the video gets indexed really nicely when you have all that text below it. And people like to go back and forth between the two modalities. Even if my preference is video, I might get to the page and be like, yeah, but I, I understand most of this workflow, but I need to figure out this one sub step. And so, you know, I can jump right down. So I would say come and look at uh, what TechSmith is doing uh, a little selfishly, but we really try and our customers tell us like we reference your content and your approach and we want to live up to that standard and we want to be an exemplar in that. So our teams really take that seriously.
0: And most of your videos are about three or four minutes long, if I remember correctly. And you're going back to text and video. One thing I don't know if people realize that YouTube is automatically transcribing videos now and then, it seems if you search on text that's within a video, Google is itself in the search engine indexing that text, that transcription. And that's one of the reasons why the videos are coming up high, because it's matching the words in the transcript to what people are searching on.
1: Yeah. And Google has a really nice affordance where they'll even, you've seen this probably, they'll show you the one clip that really answers your question within that, you know, even if it's a four minute video, there might be one minute that's really the the crux, and they'll take you right to it. Our team is a best practice. We actually post a lot of our tutorials both on YouTube, and I think we're still using Wistia as a hosting platform that's for embedding on our site. You get a little more control with that and some other affordances that our team likes. So what's on the page embedded is actually the Wistia player, and then the same content is also on YouTube. So you sort of double dip a little bit, and you try to create some breadcrumb trails from YouTube back to your site, that people can come back and find more answers.
0: Yeah, if you have it on Wistia, you have control over what is being suggested at the end of the video as to what they watch next, which right. you're out of control with YouTube. Let's say it's a good idea. What are the gaps, what are the challenges that you hear from technical, what we call technical authors, what Mary was called technical writers in, in the states where in actually doing it, implementing, recording video, uh, producing it. Where do technical writers struggle and what are the best ways of getting around those problems?
1: I've talked to a lot of folks that would describe themselves as writers, technical writers uh, over the years. And, and I think that one of the things that I've said that I feel like has helped some folks is video is half writing or more than half possibly. I actually got my start in my career doing... Um, Writing on a creative team at TechSmith. And I wrote for all kinds of media, blogs, and marketing copy, and ads, and, and video scripts. And so, a lot of the same skill set that you would use in your technical writing, thinking about how to present narrative, how to move people through, make it interesting, avoid unnecessary length and chaff, you know, all those same skills come into play when scripting a video. What you're just also adding to that is really thinking about visually, what is the the person seeing. But again, that same skill of empathy and putting yourself in the customer or the user's shoes and thinking, well, what do they need to see? What's going to be most helpful to them? How do I present it in a way that's visually concise and reduce the clutter visually as well? It's just a lot of applying those same principles. So yeah, I think it's a step that many tech writers are able to take and take well. I think there's a lot of intimidation sometimes about, I'm not a designer, um, but we've seen a lot of tech com groups actually partner with UX or design to set up some templates, some annotation styles, you know, what is your little intro? What is your outro? And then once you set that up, uh, you can kind of reuse that and again, not to plug our tools to the detriment of your audience, I think hopefully it's helpful to them is to think about templates, though, and structure and tools like Camtasia allow teams to actually standardize on a set of assets, share them in a library, keep them up to date. And I've mentioned churn zero. And recently, they were telling us that by standardizing on Camtasia across their whole team of creators, they had reduced the time it takes to make video by about 70%. So they had struggled as people were like either file format mismatches or I'm doing it this way, Your, the workflows, standardizing all of that just can be massively helpful. And then reusing assets that maybe even design teams create, I think, can really help lower the bar.
0: Yeah. One of the things you can do, if I remember from Camtasia, is if you've I don't know, got a heading in a certain animation style and you've positioned it in the right place, you can select it and then right-click and add it to the library. And then whenever you create a new video, you can use it and it will appear in the right place and it's got the right colors and you don't have to go through the rigmarole of recreating all of those those settings again.
1: Yeah, and in fact, you know that's an area that has evolved over the past couple of years um, in Camtasia in particular, where you can create even a whole kind of shell project and say, insert video clip A here, video clip B here, it becomes very paint by numbers if you want to standardize it that much sometimes people are like oh i want the creativity i want to be able to make it whatever i want and that's fine but also that can add a lot of time so it just that trade-off do you want everyone to be special unique and bespoke or do you want to crank out 50 of them it kind of depends on the exigencies within your organization
0: can i just go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago do you start with a transcript and then do the visuals or do you create the visuals and then talk about the transcript? Is there a one way better than the other as to where to start?
1: Yeah. So I think if it's kind of planned scripted content, especially if you're going to have to get some review on it, again, this depends team to team, but the best practice there, what I've done myself and and what I recommend is start with a storyboard. sounds fancy but it's just a big table in word or google docs right and each cell is what the words are narration is and what you're seeing on screen map all that out and get it approved if you have to have an approval first and then i would recommend always laying down the audio first and again just a small plug but a lot of folks that maybe follow techsmith don't know we've got a new product called audiate And the whole metaphor there is fairly new. We're not the only ones to do this, so you can find others out there. The whole metaphor there is you can edit video like you're editing text. So you can record, like if it's a sequence of screen recording, go through these five screens and show a process, you could actually record that while you're speaking it and probably do okay, especially if you're familiar with it. But if it's something that you're not as familiar with, maybe you want to lay down the audio first. Either of those workflows, though, you can in audiate go in and be like, these three words I want to cut. For this little segment, I want to re-record real quick and lay down a new bit of narrative. And then that integrates, pushes into Camtasia. So for my things that are more one-off, less scripted, what I'll do is actually record both at the same time. And then when I'm editing out a chunk of text from the transcript, it's actually removing that bit from the visuals as well. And gosh that saves me a lot of time again we had some customers just as a kind of a put some proof to the pudding here we had some folks sit down and gave them all the same webinar it was a 20 minute webinar and we said cut this up into a really nice finished product and one group we only gave camtasia and the other group we gave camtasia plus audiate and the audiate group saved about 20 percent of time in editing, so that's a nice time saver as well.
0: So one of the challenges with technical was I guess, a shifting sands issue of you write something and then before it's released, the brand name has changed or you need to take things out or you need to add things in. And so there's a great deal of focus. You've seen it with structured authoring and the like of looking for ways that content can be repurposed, reused, mm-hmm. and also variables and placeholders. If we go back to audiators say somebody doesn't know what the brand name is going to be. Does anybody use Audiate in that situation where they can put like a placeholder for the brand name and then when it's agreed what it's the product's going to be mm-hmm. called, then slot that into the video? Is that doable?
1: That's. I mean, that is not a workflow that would be sort of automated. I think what you're thinking is almost like a macro or something, right? And insert this in all the spots. That isn't something that we've, built yet, though, it's a fascinating idea. I think the next step for tools in this category is going to be text-to-speech. And I know you on your podcast earlier, you've done a little bit about generative AI. This is one of the least contentious areas of generative AI, right? Which is like instructional content where maybe you want to swap in and out the people who are doing it, or you don't want it to be dependent on someone who might not be there next week or has a cold. and so this is a really a prime prime application of generative ai for this kind of video where the voices are good enough they sound warm they sound human and you can just change the text and then have new narration produced so that's not something we have shipped yet but it's certainly an area we're exploring
0: <laughs> interesting so is tempting to ask software companies about what they're planning but there's always a reluctance to talk about products that aren't actually out there and available but it will be interesting to see what TechSmith does with AI it's the changes are happening so fast
1: well just to just to whet your appetite a little bit there imagine right imagine that you've got a script and you produce the narration audio from it but now imagine you have to support 10 languages right you can really have a big lever for efficiency if you're able to do text-to-speech in multiple languages and have it sound great to those audiences.
0: Well, another thing that you introduced with Snagit was the simplified user interface capability. And one thing that we've used with Camtasia in the past is rather than have full motion video, have screenshots and then use a sort of Ken Burns effect. You've got a there's a thing you can do within Camtasia where you can make slowly a, an image get larger and larger or move from the left, I'm telling you what your product does, it's left or right. That's a way of getting around the issues of having localized screenshots. That you can have a generalized one where you, you know the geography of the screen, but the words are not specific to one language. And then you can have that for, for international languages, and I guess you could use then that, that with, with different audio narrations for different countries.
1: Yeah, 100% you've looked down that road, right? You're like, okay, so we could we could localize the narration, the voiceover, but also what's on the screen might have text in a certain language. And yeah, I think SUI simplified user interface. If you want some links for show notes, I can provide links to, you know, TechSmith, we are like really in tune with this audience and we really want to build tools that are useful to technical communicators. So a few years ago, we invested heavily in Snagit to create really the only functionality that i know of that's dedicated to creating this kind of sui or simplified user interface effect which is abstracting away a lot of the text and a lot of the the clutter from a typical ui screenshot and one of the benefits of it like you said is less or no localization and we so a couple of years ago microsoft had a whole bunch of these cool little animated tips for their edge browser And they went to the extreme that i've seen of any brand they got rid of all text there was literally no no text yet in those and and so they were taking the risk that people would still understand like well when i see these areas of the screen i know that it means you know this kind of functionality but you could also understand how it would be a massively smaller lift for them to localize those into i don't know how microsoft i think last I you might know, 40, 50, I I don't know how many languages they localize into, but it's a lot.
0: I'm not sure, I know know the big companies struggle. You look at some of the APIs that Google have and the homepage will be in French, but actually the reference documentation is in English. One of the challenges is making content accessible as possible, that covers internationalization, localization, another aspect with that, that you hear people have concerns when it comes to video is people that that have disability. Sight impairment. Are there any tips or tricks of mitigating the problems or challenges that might or making sure that you're compliant with legislation for people, you know, have visual or audio impairments that might be useful to know?
1: Another good thing about that workflow of starting with your script for these kind of scripted, very planned videos is you already have your captions. It's a really nice, it's not, you don't have to auto transcribe them. You can start from the handwritten text and be confident that it's correct. And then, yeah, there are workflows in, in basically every video tool, certainly in Camtasia as well, that you can have a caption track and you can kind of keep that with your video. So as you edit, it stays in sync. Um, and then produce that out. Um, there's the SRT file, that is the standard file type. One thing that some folks don't know is that, technically to be fully ADA compliant, last time I checked, is you also should have a description track. So it should be not just what is being spoken, but things that are being shown that might be described from visual to text, which then can be obviously read out by a screen reader or other adaptive device. So that's another thing to consider is having maybe some notes. And that can be from your storyboard as well. If you're thinking that way, you know what am I seeing on screen? If there's going to be text that's shown in the UI or click on this button. Maybe the narrator doesn't say, click on the whatever button, because that can be very wooden in a video. But maybe the caption track, the description caption track needs to say, click on the whatever button.
0: So one of the challenges with technical writing is measuring the value of what's created. Because if it's a paper document, you never know when your users opened the manual and... Even if it's online, there may not be meaningful metrics that are there to measure that because if somebody's on a page for five minutes, is that good because they're reading everything or is that bad because they haven't found the answer immediately? In terms of metrics, is there anything useful that having video can maybe tell you about what people are valuing in a video, whether they're watching it, that type of thing?
1: We spend a lot of time with analytics and, and passively collected data and I, I just think it's true of all of it it tells you what's happening but it doesn't tell you why it just never does and i was just today pulled up some tutorial pages in hot jar which tells you it shows you heat maps of where people click and that shows you where they hover how far they scroll what they click but it doesn't necessarily tell you did they get what they were wanting like you said is dwell time good or bad but we do get things certainly in video and i think depending on where you host it, if you host it in Wistia or YouTube or somewhere else. Most of those platforms really have spent a lot of time trying to provide useful, helpful analytics that will answer questions like, is this engaging people? So you have like how far through it they watched. I think in general, if you made a four minute video and people drop after the first 30 seconds, there's probably a problem unless you put all the goodies in the first 30 seconds and you're like, I know that I front loaded the content and most people get what they wanted. I think ultimately it's best if you can do a bridge of or a combo of quanti- quant and qual data, quantitative and qualitative data, looking at those quantitative data points can help you have really good questions that then you can talk to some users and find out qualitatively where your hunch is correct. And then inverse, right, the conversations you have about, hey, what did you find most helpful in my content and why? they can lead you to some questions that you might be able to answer with the quant data. So hopefully that doesn't sound like a dodge, but I would say video does have a lot of richness to the analytics you can get from within the video, depending on the platform you use to host it. PDFs are notoriously tough, right? Maybe you get a download number and that's it. And you're like, I don't know what happened after that. Comparatively, you get a lot more with video.
0: You just reminded me, I think with Wistia, you get, if somebody rewinds the video and plays it again, it will give you a sort of slidey bar of the bits that people watch more than once, like a heat map type of thing, based on time rather than where on the screen.
1: How do you interpret that, Ellis? When someone rewatches part of a video? Is that a win?
0: That's a good question, isn't it? I would take it positively, but it could be that they don't understand what you've said the first time, and they're they're playing it back to try and make out what it is that you've said. That's a very good question. Yeah. It's like you say quantitative and qualitative the uh, trying to get the two of those
1: yeah i've I've been in this in those conversations. Is that a good thing that they rewatched it? Did they maybe not understand it? Was the pacing was too fast? but it's good at least it gives us places to dig in we do some surveying right on our tutorial pages too and our our team we call them the customer education team at Techsmith we empower them with all the tools they need right they own the pages they've actually moved them over to WordPress now so they can have like really deep control over those pages and then they can put on things like a hot jar survey and answer all kinds of questions like what brought you here today and what were you trying to accomplish and as you know I'm I will not say anything useful to your audience about this, but there's multiple reasons someone is accessing the content, right? There's sort of your reference, quick reference, answer a question, troubleshoot a problem. There's, I need to learn it and I'm sitting down and I need the instruction. And you can't necessarily know who is in which category. So it's really about trying to serve each of those segments as best we can with the same content, or maybe different content, depending on if you have different kinds of content you can create.
0: So we've We've got a conference coming up in the UK called TCUK UK and we did a webinar, what was it, July, a couple of months ago, and there seems to be, in forums as well, a big question at the moment about the future of technical communication. What's the role of the technical writer with generative AI coming along, with video coming along? Is it that they're going to be like Cinderella and all these ugly sisters are going to come along and say, no, we do video, we do AI and... Things that normally technical writers would do, other people say that they do. Have you had any feedback or thoughts on what is likely to happen in the future? What the impact on the skills that people need for their career, where the career is evolving? That's a very long question. Pick out an answer from that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think it's natural at an inflection point like this, right, especially where a new technology is in the middle of the hype cycle. Gartner uses that term, it's the hype cycle. And it's true, you know, that it dominated headlines, especially early this year and some now. It's natural to ask, what is this going to do to my job, my role, the way I work? I encourage folks to play around with it for sure. I've done a little bit of that myself. I've thought, could I get ChatGPT to give me a good outline for a video I wanted to create? Hey, I want to create a video of this type with this sort of information. Write me an outline and then I can make it better. So I think there will definitely be some ways that AI assists sort of that co-pilot or helper. And I think there will be some massive shifts to workflows, right? Like the whole thing we were talking about text to speech. I used to use a service not to pick on them, but it was a service called voices.com where you could very efficiently send off your script and have multiple voices, human actors, read a bit of it, and then you pick the one you like best, and you hire them to do your whole script. And it was super fast and pretty cheap. And a bunch of those people were out of work radio announcers. And you could tell because they would use their big announcer voice, you know, and you're like, man, they kind of got whacked by the death, so to speak, of radio and disc jockeys. Well, now those folks like, oh, gosh, a robot literally is going to do that and so much more efficiently. And maybe you get to train the bot. You know, it'll have your voice, but you do that once. So there will be some of that creative destruction, I think, that happens in certain roles. But ultimately, I guess I'm pretty bullish still on human ingenuity to create content that has that spark that AI just maybe won't. Yeah,
0: I agree. I looked at a tool yesterday, which you could give it a theme and it would create a a video, two or three minute video. And the script it came up with was... Pretty good, second time round. I asked it to create a a video on how certain, something could help technical authors save time. And the script was good and could be edited. The images were stock images and they were so cheesy and generic that it it really detracted from it. And it was one of those things where you could take the script and then create your own video, B-roll and the like, and put those in and you would end up with a good video. So I can see it working in that way. And for all of these changes at the moment, there was a Planet Money NPR podcast on accountants and the introduction of the spreadsheet in the 1980s. And there used to be people that would create paper spreadsheets. And if somebody wanted to say, what happens if we increase our prices by 10%, how much profit will we make or what will impact on sales? And they would spend days going through all the formula and doing that. With a spreadsheet, that could be done in 10 minutes. But we still have accountants. We might not have bookkeepers entering stuff, but we still have accountants because now they do even more sophisticated what-if modelling and management accounting and planning with the tool. It didn't take their job away. It just meant they could do faster, fancier things than they did previously. And I am of the opinion that tools like video, and you've mentioned Audiate, and again with Generative AI, that if technical writers are on top of these things and use them and show that they know how they can get value from them, then the future's positive and bright. If They sit there and wishing it went away, then other people will step in and take advantage of that. So I think there's an opportunity there to take these skills, take these technologies and use them in a positive way. And that should be good. I mean, there's a new role, it's probably emerged in the last three months, which is prompt engineer. And mm. prompt engineer, somebody who knows linguistics, can write instructions in clear ways and can sequence information, which are exactly the skills that technical authors, technical writers have. So there are new opportunities there with the skills that technical writers have for the future.
1: Yeah. And I think a way to think about that might be, can you add to your list of skills, technical writer, prompt engineering, right? It doesn't necessarily mean you have to shift to a new role, but you're conversant with the platforms. You know, which one is going to give the best results and you know what to put in to get those results. I love that you mentioned Planet Money. I listened to them too. And did you catch the one where they tried to have AI write their whole podcast episode? And they spent, I think, three episodes talking about the backstory of that. One thing that struck me is the episode it created was like nowhere near their best work. I mean, it was like And I think they said, they're like, it would be like if we had a first time intern create an episode from start to finish and it would be okay, but it wouldn't be stellar, right? I kind of said something earlier that I wanna make sure I correct a little, which is that it can't be creative. I do think it can be creative. And I thought that was fascinating. Planet Money folks found that it was great at writing headlines. It was actually like really good. And that's something that's hard. I was a writer for years and writing headlines was super hard. So, hey, if it's good at writing headlines, awesome. Outsource that to the bot. And a technical writer could do that too. Like maybe it creates the summary. It creates the, what should I title this video? At least it could give you three, four ideas and then you take the best or work with that and make it better. So I like the metaphor of make AI your intern, right? And figure out how to outsource some parts of the job that you don't love or could really use a hand with or just speed up your efficiency. And then you're still the one with the job. It's just your support.
0: Yeah, you're right. That episode, they created an AI version of The Presenter Came Alone, and it was really flat. It didn't have the unevenness of a natural human voice, of the stutters, the pauses, and all of that. It was just, it didn't modulate enough, I don't think. And I love the way that Microsoft talk about the idea of a a co-pilot, that these are things, and like you say, to take away the mundane things that traditionally would You'd get somebody, an intern, to to do if you had access to an intern and free up time to do the more interesting and sophisticated things. Is there any other question I haven't asked you that I should have asked you?
1: Oh, man. Well, we haven't talked as much about imagery, and that's fine. Screenshots, uh, that's near and dear to my heart because obviously I work on Snagit. Our topic today was video Back to the topic of getting started, I think that lowering the bar to people just trying video the first time, one method, and you kind of alluded to this yourself, is the Ken Burns effect, but you can actually start with a series of screenshots. And if you want to go super simple, straightforward, you can do all of this within Snagit, is you can take a set of screenshots, you could apply that simplified user interface effect, and then there's actually a video creation mode in Snagit that lets you kind of record those and voice over them from start to finish. So again, not trying to pimp the tool here, but really just say it's as simple as that and you've got a video or you can do it as an animated GIF. I think that's another great way to start with thinking video in your content because you don't have to worry about voices and narration and audio quality, which, as you know, as a podcaster, is is hard but you can also start with short animations that have no audio and embed those in your content to sort of show here's a three-step process. And it might not be obvious from the screenshot, right? That you hover over this and then this thing appears. Cool, make that a GIF and embed it right in the content. So I think those are some ways to just think about getting started a more accessible way that hopefully no one would feel too intimidated by. And if you already have access to Snagit, which a lot of people do in tech explore the tool a little there's some basic video creation capabilities right there
0: well one things i like about Camtasia is it's a relatively straightforward interface to use you look at davinci or some of the adobe products and they can do everything but it's massively complex and daunting to start and i think some people aren't aware that well there's perception you have to record and it has to be perfect Mm -hmm. but with I tend to use Camtasia more for video than Snagit. If there's a bit you don't like, you can cut it out, just chop it. So you can yeah. record something rough and ready and then just chop out the bits you don't want. And you don't have to start from scratch and then re-record the whole thing all over again. But it is an accessible application, Camtasia, well, equally with Snagit. just have the button, you hit the, the capture the screen, you just size it and then you can then work on it from there.
1: The other thing I would say just about that, what to cut out, at least think about it. Depending on your brand and your relationship with your customers, we've actually had some customers say we leave in those little mistakes, and we hear from people, from customers, like I love that you kind of stumbled over your word or you, you know, you gave a wry smile when you didn't, you know, mispronounce something, whatever it is. So, depending on your brand and your relationship with your customers, take a look at TikTok. It's eating the world, right? And a lot of it is not this highly scripted perfected there is that too but there's just a lot of off the cuff people kind of like that they kind of like to know the people behind the brand so
0: i think we've covered pretty much everything that i wanted to cover so i would think it's just left to say thank you it was lovely talking to daniel so we will include some of the things that we mentioned the topics in the show notes if people want to contact you if they've got any questions they want to go direct what's the Are you on the socials? What's the best way of getting hold of you?
1: Yeah, for finding me personally, my preferred method is LinkedIn. I'm still on the platform formerly known as Twitter. It's gonna be hard for me to give up that name. Yeah, LinkedIn is sort of where I tend to have my professional presence the most and people can reach out to me. I love to connect there and then maybe take it to email or maybe I get to meet you in person. I'm headed to a conference this fall in September called CollabCon. I'm excited about that. So hopefully we'll be at some more shows coming up.
0: So Daniel, as in it's normally spelt, and Foster as it's normally spelt as well. So it's nice and easy. Great, lovely.